I've titled my sermon this morning, Our Ultimate Responsibility. And I must confess right off the bat, this is really challenging. It's been really challenging for me because I've been meditating and working on this actually for a few weeks really. And yet it still challenges me as I was trying to put it down on, on paper, if you want to say that. It just challenged me. And, uh, but I'm trusting the Spirit of the Lord to, to take what I have to say, if I can say it, what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart and for it to grab a hold of your life too. Title my sermon, Our Ultimate Responsibility. And for those of you who missed last week, uh, I basically started this, if you want to say it's a three, it's one sermon in three parts, if that makes sense. It's a three-part sermon if you want to, whichever way you want to look at it. And so I encourage you to go back and uh, listen to last week's sermon too. But talks about basically our walk with the Lord as believers in Christ Jesus. Because as we walk this walk, or this Christian walk, and as we grow in the Lord and in our spiritual lives, we realize, we realize that there's, we started with this, that there's God's part and then there is our part too. There's God's part and then there's our part. And I don't want to get confused if uh, salvation is all God. It's all God and based on what Christ did on the cross for us and when he rose from the grave again. That is all God. But, but Paul, Paul, Paul talks about working out our salvation as God works in us. The moment we, of course, we accept Jesus and his death on the cross and uh, everything that goes with it. Yes, we are saved, but realize that that is just the beginning of our spiritual walk with the Lord, our spiritual journey. That's just the beginning of our spiritual lives. And like, like Paul says, we've got to keep working out that salvation that we have already received. And we talked about this. It's about knowing God and loving God. And it's, it's basically the two sides of the same coin. And you really cannot have one without the other. You can't have one without the other if you want to live an authentic Christian life. There has to be a, a balance. And actually, the more you think about it, it's, it's basically an unending cycle. The more you know God, the more you love Him. The more you love Him, the more you want to know Him. And so it just goes on and on and on. That's how it ought to be. And again, it's, it's not a 50-50 thing. It's really a 100-100 thing together. Here's the thing, and I, I know I mentioned this, and for, if you know me and been here long enough, knowledge without love is just useless information that puffs us up and puffs up our own ego. On the other hand, loving without knowledge leads to shallow and superficial Christianity that will not withstand the onslaught of the challenges the world of, uh, throws at us or the devil himself throws at us. Our ultimate responsibility is knowing God and our only response is loving Him. Our responsibility is knowing God. This morning I want to focus on our, on our response. Our only response ought to be loving Him. And this morning I want to focus on that first part as our ultimate responsibility, our number one priority, our main purpose, our main duty is the pursuit of the knowledge of God. The pursuit of the knowledge of God. And I need to say this. Of course, our ultimate goal is to be like Christ. There's no doubt about that part. Our ultimate goal is to be, that end result is to be like Christ. That is why it is important to get to that point. It is important to pursue a knowledge of God. Because if you don't know Him, you'll never learn to be like Him. 
And here's a truth that I think we need to grasp, and most of us know this because we've been here and have been in church long enough, that our spiritual lives cannot be driven by emotions or experiences only, but ought to be driven by an ever-increasing knowledge of who Christ is. Emotions and experiences, yes, they come along. They supplement our knowledge of Christ himself. I've said this to more than one person that you can't go seeking after, running after, going from one experience to another experience to another experience and depend on that alone for your spiritual growth. And you probably know people like that because I know several people like that who go from, you know, they go from one miracle meeting to another miracle meeting, from one prophetic seminar to another prophetic seminar, and they keep going on. They basically, it's like that fix that they get sometimes, you know. But then I tell them, hey, and I challenge them to discipline their lives, to dig into God's word and study it faithfully, and they look at me funny. And you probably experience that too. When you tell people to do that, they kind of look at you funny. And I remember... This one young man who challenged him to just get into the word because he loved God, but he would not read his Bible. And I challenged him, read the word, just don't keep going. He was there like throughout the week. If there was a meeting, he'd go for one meeting here, he'd go for another meeting the next day. Just go on and on and on like that. He had this hunger for God. And I told him, but you got to read the word. And I won't forget the look in his face as he turned to me and he basically tells me, you don't understand the things of the spirit. And I'm like, what do I say to that? And I told him, I know one thing. This is God's word. God inspired, I mean, God breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what I will build my life on. I mean, the Bible itself says, tongues may cease, prophecies may fail, but this word will never fail. There is no substitute for this because his word will never pass away. Yes, do our... Uh, experiences with God deepen our understanding with God? Yes, they do. But like I said earlier, they are supplemental to the knowledge we find in His Word. If you build your life on some prophetic word that is not based closely and don't take it to the Scripture and look at it, read it, and find it out, and I know people here are experiencing this, but I'm telling you, you cannot build your life on something that does not line up with the Word of God. You've got to line yourself up with the Word of God. Everything else just adds to what, not adds, confirms what this already says. Amen. Can't add to it. It confirms what it already says. I know that guy got offended, never talked to me again. And as far as I know, he, he's no longer going to church too. He, he, he believes in God, but he doesn't go to church or anything anymore. But it doesn't matter. Our number one responsibility is pursuing a knowledge of God. And I said this a little earlier, and, and excuse me, I know I've said this before, and if I sound like a pessimist, but one of the biggest problems with the church right now, as I see it, is the presence of very shallow Christianity, which is a symptom of a bigger problem, which is people who are illiterate when it comes to the Word of God. I know what I'm sharing this morning is going to, is very contrary to what the world holds as a standard. Because the world holds success, materialism, you know, the celebrity kind of fame. And everybody wants to be the next Instagram, social media celebrity, you know, and they all want to go viral. I mean, the students in my school, and they'll admit Haley and... Daniel will agree. They all want to get on this thing called TikTok and get, go viral. She's laughing right there. But that's all they want to do. They want to be this next sensation. But the truth is all this. It's just this. They're self-absorbed, yet frightened and hollow people. And the church is the only answer. We have got what they need. Yet when I look around me, I see a lot of church growth has happened because we have given, and listen to my heart here, because we have, and people say this, churches are growing because we give them what they want. But that is also my greatest fear because in giving them what we want, we have failed to give them what they really need. Yes, 
If we as a church always give them what we want, we invariably preach a what's in it for me gospel. Listen to me carefully here. Because when we give them what they want, we preaching and giving into this society which teaches us what's in it for me. And that's what we take to the church and the Bible and God himself too. What's in it for me as a Christian? We create people who serve God because what's in it for me? We create a group of people who love God because of what's in it for me. And this is one of the biggest, I feel one of the biggest dangers in today's world because we're totally, you know this, I know this, we're so consumed with ourselves right now. And it's so easy for us as a church to give in to that same mindset in our own Christian way too. If you're honest, think about it, even as Christians, reflect with me. Most of the things we do in our lives or have done in the past, do, we do it for ourselves really. From the food we eat, I don't go eat food that I don't like to eat. It has to satisfy me from the cars we drive, the houses we live in, the people we marry. All these things ultimately cater to me and what appeals to me. Now, not everything is bad in terms of, you know, I don't want to marry and don't want you to marry someone you really don't care about. No. <laughs> Jillian's always struck with Chandler, so what can we say? <laughs> I'm sorry. He's wearing that Chiefs jersey today. He asked me, Pastor said, can I wear my Chiefs jersey today? I'm like, hey, I hope they win. But, oh, whatever. Let's get back to you. I'm not saying wanting stuff is all bad thing. It's not all that bad as such. But our primary purpose should never be what is in it for me. That cannot, again, it's not a bad thing to have dreams and ambitions and desires and wanting to be successful as such. But if in achieving those things, it leaves God's out, it leaves God out, it really is a futile pursuit. Unless God, and here's the thing, unless God is a major part of our pursuits in life, they will never fulfill or satisfy us. They will never deliver on the things that they promise. They will never do for us what we think they will do unless God is the number one and ultimate purpose that we pursue. Amen. Knowing God is our ultimate purpose. It's not a call for all people out there. It's for us in the church. When Paul writes, he's writing to church people here. Because if we don't, the reality is this, if we don't recognize this purpose, we will fall into that what's in it for me gospel. And we cannot, cannot let that happen. At least not in this church. Because we end up just satisfying our own desires, our own self. And that's the biggest problem with sin is the I in between it all. I, me, myself. And turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, my I have so much written, but turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 4. And there's an amazing verse there, which kind of when I read it, Jeremiah chapter 4. And I've got several verses that I'm going to talk about. Jeremiah chapter 4. Verse 22. He says, my people, he's talking about Israel and Judah more particularly. My people are what? Fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. And then it says, of course, they are skilled in doing evil. They do not know how to do good. Go down a few more chapters in chapter 9. And I want... I'll I mean, the whole context of Jeremiah, and I'm picking verses here, but I'll explain the whole context in a little while. Chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. You see what's happening in, in Israel, and it's, it's just, it's kind of Jeremiah is wanting to run away, basically. Verse 2, he says, oh, and I'm reading it from the uh, American Standard uh, Version right now. It says, oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place. That I might leave my people and go from them. 
For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like, bow, like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil. All he's saying is it's just getting bad to worse. And this is what God says. And they do not know me. I know the NIV uses the word acknowledge. But the word there is know me. And that's the problem. Go down all the way to verse, same chapter. Go down to verse 23 right there. Again, this is the Lord speaking. It says, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Now, if that doesn't sound like the world around us right now, I don't know what does. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. If you look at the Old, Testaments in Je- Old Testament prophets in general and, Isaiah, and Jeremiah in particular, you see that God is about to pour out his judgment on his people, if you want to put it there, using other nations to judge the nation of Israel. But why does he do that? Because these people had no excuse because they knew better, but very deliberately walked away from God and run away to do their own things. If you read all the, the whole chapter in Jeremiah, you keep reading, they are running, pursuing their own things, idolatry. They replace God and you see with other gods of wood and stone and it says all that there. And then it also talks about how they became self-sufficient. Relying on themselves, they dug their own cisterns, it says, or wells, and abandoned the ones that God had ordained. They've abandoned God, idolatry, you know, replaced him with themselves, basically. And then verse 2 and 3 that we read, you know, they adulterers, assembly of treacherous men. They live by lies. And they just go from evil to evil, from bad to worse. And here is the problem. Those are the symptoms. And what is the problem is because they do not know me. That is the problem. They do not know me. And again, you say verse, verse 23 that we read sounds just like the world we live in right now. You know what we brag about? Our wisdom. You know how much we have done. But what do people want? All about the boast. Of his, I mean, his, the mighty man boasts of his might. They brag about riches. Oh, wanting to be the boss. I want to be in charge. You talk to people. I want to be this influencer. I want to make money. I want, I want to be this next sensation that comes along and everybody's going to throw their money at me. And that's the problem. The problem is that they do not know God. And I think verse 24 gives us the cure, if you want to call it that. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The world says success is measured in fame and accomplishments and money. And, but that's not what the Bible talks about. Success, according to the Bible, is when you understand and know your God. When you understand and know your God, what does, what causes a man who's been so deceitful to change his ways like Zacchaeus? What causes an influential man to become a servant? What causes a man who's prone to lying to suddenly become truthful? What turns a man who is always angry and rough and a man to become gentle and gracious? What turns a man who is selfish and self-centered into a selfless giver? The answer is right here. The one who understands and knows his God. One who understands and knows his God. And there's no, there's, I don't know how it really happens. If you want to take these words apart right here, the word understand Used here in the, in the Hebrew, it really, it really symbolizes to have the right insight into the nature of the object. And of course, the object here is God himself. Having the right insight into the nature of the object, which is God himself, it is also has the idea of conducting oneself wisely. 
And if you read uh, some of these Hebrew scholars who've been taking the language apart, I was reading, it says it implies conforming oneself to the character of the object. And the object here is God. Amen. That's what understanding is talking about. And of course, the word that's translated knowledge or to know, it's the knowledge that's gained by senses, not by an experiment as such. You know, it's like in science, yes, we experiment, we see the results, and now we know. He's not talking about that kind of knowledge. He's talking about a faith come by knowledge that comes with everything within us. That's to know him. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about that uses our inner faculty of our mind. It's focused and motivated by God himself. It's that kind of faith he's talking about. And if we have to put these two phrases together, understand and know him. It's simply talking about us having a focused attention on Christ Jesus with everything within us so that we can become like him. Now, how many people in the world really want to focus our attention on God so that we become more like him? How many of us pursue us in the church, pursue a knowledge of God in such a way? Or do we pursue things that really don't add up to this? Again, I'm not talking about a knowledge that puffs one up. It's about the knowledge and understanding that seeks to see people and the things around us through God's eyes. Getting his perspective in my life. Getting his perspective on the things that happen around me. It's about understanding and seeing everything that happens as something that God permits. But yet, he's under his control. Under his total control. I was working on this whole point here and I was just, I was shaking my head. Because understanding and knowledge, can we really understand God? Can we really know God? How am I? And I said part of my struggle was how am I going to find enough words to unfold this idea of knowing God? Because we are so finite. We are so limited in our knowledge, in our, in our vocabulary. We are so finite. How can we begin to even grasp this infinite being? Words and thoughts are never going to be enough to describe who he is because he is indescribable. We can spend, literally spend the whole of eternity and never even get a really a brief a glimpse of who God really is. And that feeling left leaves us, I mean that feeling itself is so humbling really when you realize, you know, I can spend everything, every waking moment of my life and yet just barely know God because he's so, so great. But then when you feel like that, you realize that God is not really trying to hide from us either. He's not playing, like I say, hide and go seek. And he, where he's, find, he's, causing, he's hiding somewhere and he doesn't want to be found. That's not the God we worship. On the contrary, if we seek him, it says he will be found. Because he has revealed himself time and time again. As much as he is indescribable, God has revealed himself time and time again. Talk about Romans. He talks about, in the book of Romans, he talks about this revelation that God has given for everybody to see. That's why we have no excuse, it says. The heavens declare his glory. We see his majesty all over, this, all over the place. God is not a mystery that only smart minds have to figure out, can figure out. He's everywhere. In fact, I believe the natural tendency of every man is to believing, is to believe in God. It takes someone to teach another person to not believe in God. I mean, th really think about it. You have to be taught not to believe in God. Because every person that's born automatically has this sense that there is something bigger and greater. He might not know God the way we know him, but he all, they all have the sense of an understanding that there is something out there that is bigger than them. But it's something that's taught that, oh, there is no God. God is evident through everything out there. Why is it important? And again, I'm going to focus on this part. I'm not going to talk about who God is because you all know that. Why is it important to know God? 
Why is it important? What are the benefits of pursuing God? Well, number one, pursuing a knowledge of God makes me want to be more like him. A proper knowledge of God creates in me a desire to be more like him. I use the word a proper knowledge. You can be like the disciples and want to call on fire and destroy everybody else. They knew God, but they didn't really know him, his heart. Verse 24, it says, let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Here's the thing. The more you know God, his loving kindness, justice, righteousness, it's the most natural thing to do. You kind of become, you become more and more like the people you hang out with and spend time with. That's just the natural part of life. I mean, talk about example of parents. How many people say, I'll never be like my parents, but when they grow up, they're exactly like their parents. It's just a natural tendency. Because we've been around them, we know them, and in knowing them, somehow, knowingly and unknowingly, we take on their characteristics. It's the same thing we got with God. The more I know him, the more I'm equipped to be more like him. I learned that he is holy and I want to be holy. I learned that he is good and I want to be good. I learned that he is kind and I want to be kind. I know he is gracious, so I want to be gracious. I know he is compassionate. I want to be compassionate. I know he's loving and I want to be loving. I can go on and on and on, but that's the main thing. When you know and have a proper knowledge of God, it brings you a desire within you to be more like him. Amen. That's why we pursue a knowledge of God. Number two, pursuing a knowledge of God helps me discover the truth about myself. Yes, you know God, and as you know him, he gives you, and I say, a proper understanding of God. The more you know him, the more he creates in you a desire to be like him, but also you discover the truth about yourself. The two scripture portions that come to my mind is when Peter and, and the rest of the disciples, they're fishing. They fish the whole night and catch nothing. Jesus comes along and he says, what? Throw your thing on the other side and guess what happens? The nets are tearing, falling apart at the seams, basically, and they come in. And as they do that, what does Peter do? Jump out of the boat. Comes, falls at Jesus' feet and he says, what? Jesus just did this big miracle. And then he says, Jesus, just get away from me because I'm a sinner. But wasn't low self-worth right there. It's acknowledging who he really was. Another response, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to read that portion of scripture. It's familiar to a lot of us. Just in the chapter, Isaiah chapter 6. It's one book before Jeremiah. An amazing picture of what? Isaiah portrays the throne room of God. In the year, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. Picture this with you in, in your mind, these beasts or beings as such and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke and see what isaiah's response is woe to me i cried i'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you pursue a knowledge of God, and when you begin to know God for who He really is, and you get a glimpse of His majesty and His splendor and His glory... You realize who you really are. And I'm talking about Isaiah, this great prophet. 
says what? I am a man of unclean lips. When you realize the holiness of God, you realize that you really are not holy. You realize he is perfect and how imperfect you are. You realize he is strong and you realize that you are weak. You realize how in control he is and how helpless you really are. But there's something about the moment of this self-discovery that makes his characteristics, his character overcome all your weaknesses. Something happens, and I don't know how, that in that moment you realize your inadequacy, that the knowledge of who he is overcomes your inadequacy. God is never going to leave you in a position where you feel like a terrible, you know, nothing good in you. But it's in that moment of discovering who you really are that you realize that God is more than sufficient in that moment. The knowledge of God equips you. You discover. It's when you discover. And I come to this time and time again. It's when you discover that you are nothing. It is that. It's at that time when God gives you the real proper insight of who you really are in him. I know the world, you talk about something like this. And the world, of course, Thinks the total opposite and they say, what, hey, you're putting yourself down. But here's the truth. In putting yourself down, that's when God exalts you. When you lose yourself, that's when you really find yourself. It's when you die to yourself that you really live. And that knowledge comes only from a knowledge of who God is. That's why we pursue. That's why we pursue a knowledge of God. Because it gives us a right perspective. A right perspective on who we really are. When you realize, like I said, that you are really nothing, that's when God comes and quenches the longing and the desire in your heart to find self-worth. It's when you lose it, that's when you find self-worth. It's only when you see who you really are, that's when you realize the need for God. A knowledge the knowledge of God. Number three, the knowledge of God helps me see the world for what it really is. It helps me to see the world for what it really is. And the story that comes to mind again is Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 4. And you, it's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And there's this word been given to Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he forgets and he's all about talking about himself and his, how good he is and how great his kingdom is and everything else. You know, he's just going on and on and on about himself and himself and himself. And all of a sudden, verse, verse 33, it says, Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair was, had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails, bird's claws. Sometimes, and if I can say, for some people, it takes a total breakdown for them to come to the end of themselves. And that's when they really find God. He thinks he's all that, and then he really is broken into this person, this animal, this beast who's hanging out. Nobody wants to talk with him. And then verse 34, it says... But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Here's this guy going from blessing himself, praising himself, exalting and honoring himself. And all of a sudden, he says, what? Then my sanity returned. And I bless the Most High and praise and honored Him for His dominion is everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. We sing that song. His kingdom will not pass away. And all the inhabitants, verse 35 says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he does according, this is the amazing part, verse 35. And he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. When you realize, when you know God, when you pursue a knowledge of God, you realize who your God really is. He does what he pleases, really. 
I know it kind of sounds bad for us who are so egotistical sometimes. But the truth is, you want to ask God what's happening, and he'll tell you the truth. Hey, I'm doing what I want to. That's not going to satisfy you. But what's going to satisfy you is when you know that he is in control of everything else. He is in control. The knowledge of God reminds me of the sovereignty of God, that the world as a whole is under his dominion as such. It's under his control. He is the boss. He's the one calling the shots. No one and nothing will ever take his place. Amen. Nothing will ever take his place. And it's amazing what a relief it brings, brings to our mind when we have this knowledge of God that he is in control. The more we know him, the more that idea that he is in control sinks into our hearts. That's why I don't despair. That's why I don't lose hope when everything else around me seems to be hopeless. That's what gives me this calm assurance even when the whole world seems to be blowing itself apart. It's because I have a knowledge of who he is and he is in control. Knowledge of God reminds us of God's sovereignty that nothing that's going to happen here on earth, nothing is going to be a shock for God. Somehow we think that God, you know, something happens and now God is like, oh, no, now what do I do about this situation? No. He's always been in control and will never lose control. Now, how will that idea get permanently fixed into your head? It's when you pursue a knowledge of God. Because that's what gives you that assurance that he is in control. You don't have to panic Every time something goes wrong, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in doubt. You don't have to be, live in anxiety or be stressed out because you know God is in control. God is in control. Nothing on earth happens without his knowledge. He knows and he is in control. The more you know him, the more the knowledge, the knowledge of him will bring you peace, joy, hope. You can keep going on and on. Here's the truth. The more I know God, the less I panic. That's it for me. That's the same thing. The more you know your God, the less you will panic. The less you will stress out. The knowledge of God helps me to see the world the way it really is. Even though it seems like a tragedy, it seems and feels like everything is lost. You realize that he knows the end. He knows the end. You may not get it all and figure it all out, but you can trust him because you know him. He knows the end. Number four, let me rush to finish. Pursuing a knowledge of God now gives me or makes me stronger and secure. It makes me stronger and secure. Why do I say this? Because if you read again the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 11 verse 32. Daniel, of course, the whole kingdom has been is in turmoil and the nations and there's war and everything else. You know, and that's all that's happening. Uh, verse 31, it says, armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple and everything else. There's so much hostility all around there. In verse 32, he says what? With flattery, he will corrupt those who violate the covenant. And then the verse, it says, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. The translation, another translation says, those who know their God will display strength and take action. When we know our God, we will display what? Strength. We will be secure because we know who our God is. It takes the knowledge of God that will make us, make us secure Someone asked the question, why has the church lost its influence on the world? It's because we have abandoned the pursuit of knowing God. Yeah. We've abandoned the pursuit of knowing God. I love what Pastor Baker, whom I've, I've worked under in Waxahachie, he always used this phrase and it stuck with me. If the church has to become like the world to win the world, the world has already won. If the church has to become like the world to win the world... The world has already won. We don't have to change who we are to invite the world in. No, we don't do that. 
we have to be strong and secure because we know who God is. Somehow we think, and this is what it is, somehow we think it's up to us to make things happen. You know, God created all this and did all this. Now he's just sitting far away, just looking, you know. He doesn't really interfere in our affairs as much. And it's up to us to do it. No, it's up to us to be still and acknowledge that he is God. A knowledge of God makes us strong, makes us secure. It is God's job. He is not retired after creation. He is still involved. It's his job. It is his work. It's not our work. It's not, yes, we say it's our church, but please understand it is God's church. This is his bride. It's his job. Our job is to sit secure even though there's an army coming against us. Our job is to sit in strength and in security because of who our God is. That knowledge, how can you stay so calm in the midst of a storm? It's when you have a knowledge of who your God is. How can you stay so calm and and resist the urge to do something? When everything else seems like you've got to do something, you've got to do something, you've got to do something. How can you just stay still and be strong in your faith? It's when you know who your God is. That's why we pursue the knowledge of God. Any action, let me put this this way. Any action that does not include the knowledge of God is just a waste of time. Any action that does not acknowledge God is a definite waste of time. It is in that knowledge of who God is that we are secure, that we are safe. That's why it says, it, it goes back to David. The battle is whose? The Lord. I just, what? The victory is ours. That knowledge has to come. From knowing God itself. Let me finish with this last point. Pursuing God. Pursuing a knowledge of God opens my eyes to the spiritual realm rather than just the here and now. Now I'm not going any extreme where I was listening to this guy who came to a church I was. And he was talking about Friar Tuck Angels. I don't know if you know who Friar Tuck Angels are. He came to my church actually in, in before the church where I was at in Washington. He's talking about, everybody knows who Friar Tuck is, right? From Robin Hood, the friar who, what did he love? Wine. He used to drink the communion wine and got drunk. And so this guy was preaching about Friar Tuck angels. He could see Friar Tuck angels waiting to get his people drunk with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting like, like, uh, you know? <laughs> but that's all angels did. I don't know. Oh, we have this angel with that cupid shooting arrows into people's hearts. That's not the spiritual realm I'm talking about here. But when you pursue a knowledge of God, he opens your eyes to things in the spiritual realm that you will never see before. You will see things like the servant Gehazi did. Where he saw the whole army of, of the Lord, I mean army of the hosts of the Lord, whatever, the armies of the Lord was outnumbering all the other armies, the enemies there. The Lord makes us sensitive to things, gets our eyes fixed. When we pursue a knowledge of God, we realize more than the here and now, we get a heavenly perspective. The kingdom is not about here and now. The kingdom, you realize that there is a kingdom of God that is come in and started and that will be established when Christ comes again. We keep our eyes focused. The knowledge of God helps us keep our eyes focused, our perspective on things that have eternal value rather than just the here and now. We learn to live by things that will last for eternity rather than pursue things that have value here and now. We pursue things that have eternal consequences that comes from a knowledge of God. My knowledge of God opens my eyes to focus above the natural to the spiritual. We've got to learn that my actions here and now don't have consequences to here and now. It has consequences that will last for eternity. I realize that God is working in this world not just for the here and now, but he's coming to establish a kingdom that people can't see. He's coming here to establish his kingdom that will be evident when he comes back again. It's the knowledge of God that helps us see things that 
drives us, gives us that desire. I'm getting there to heaven, but now I got to go tell people about it too. It's that knowledge of God that realizes that there is so much more than this drop of these whatever, 100 years, 50 years, I don't know how many years you live. It gives us an eternal perspective on things. You learn to see things the way God sees things. The knowledge of our God opens our eyes to the spiritual realms too. I know there's so much. Again, I could write on and on and on. I just pointed on a few points here that draw, drew my attention when it comes to pursuing God. Now let me ask this question as we bow our heads. How much have you grown in your knowledge of God? How much have, because I ask myself this question, how much have I grown in the knowledge of God? I'm not talking about just knowledge that gives us this high and puffs us up. I'm talking about knowledge and understanding that seeks to see things through the way God sees things. As I know him, I have this desire to be more like him. As I pursue a knowledge of God, do we really pursue our knowledge of God? Because that is our ultimate responsibility. Yes, we are saved, but that's just the beginning. Grow deeper. What have you learned? And I ask myself this question. What have I learned about God? What is something new that I have learned about God this past year? And what is something that's just been affirmed in my head? And just once again, that assurance that God gave me again. The knowledge of the Holy One. Knowing God and pursuing the knowledge of God gives us a right perspective of who we are. I know sometimes we get a little carried away. You know, I'm the daughter and I'm the son of the king and I'm going to live victorious. Yes, all that is true. But you've got to first come to the end of yourself before Christ can really live in you. seek him the more I want to be like him I really can't explain how that changes lives I can't explain how in practical terms how that knowledge of God transforms a Paul who ran running persecuting the church yet the knowledge of God transformed him into one who is willingly laying down his life Church, let me encourage you and caution you at the same time. We all need experiences with God. I mean, those are great, but please remember, experiences with God don't drive your spiritual life. It's the knowledge of who God is that will drive, that ought to drive your spiritual lives. Experiences that we have, encounters we have with God, yes, they just build us up. They supplement and just go along with what we already know. Lord, you are our desire. Give us a heart and give us a mind, a God, that is totally devoted to knowing you. 
knowing you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet for a moment. Jesus, we praise you, God. God, I pray, God, that each one of us here, God, will, will grow in a knowledge of who you are. The more I know you, the more I want to be like you, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray, God, you give us a new desire and a, a new commitment, Lord, to pursuing a knowledge of you. God, I just pray, God, that As we pursue you, oh God, you will reveal who we really are. Again, church, realize it's not that God wants to put you in your place. That's not, that's not his idea at all. That's not what his heart is about. To put you down and to push you down. No, it's not. But it's in that realization that I am nothing, that your eyes really, it's like that light bulb that goes up, that you realize how much I really need God. It's never about the self, because that's what the world standard is. much as we pursue to be successful and pursue, you know, trying to be the boss and pursue trying to make a lot of money. Now, all those things are not bad. But like I said earlier, if you don't have that pursuit of the knowledge of God, everything else is just an empty pursuit that will never fulfill you. The only thing that will fulfill you, fill your heart once again, is the knowledge of who your God is. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray, God, that you will just work in our hearts. Work in our minds, God. Thank you, Jesus, we praise you, God.